You're listening to Irreverent Bible Talk, a podcast that's not your grandma's Bible study, unless your grandma happens to be really, really cool. Listener discretion is advised if you object to bad words, women preachers, or terrible puns. Welcome to Irreverent Bible Talk. I'm Jenny, I'm a Lutheran pastor, and I have a tattoo of the old school Wonder Woman logo in the bi-flag colors. And I'm Josh, and I have a bachelor's degree in broadcasting and religion, and it's not in the bi-flag colors, it's in the traditional colors, but I have the Robin tattoo. And we are joined by a very special guest. This is our first guest interview host for the podcast. Today, we are joined by Pastor Emmy Kegler. She is the author of two books, One Coin Found, How God's Love Stretches to the Margins, and All Who Are Weary, Easing the Burden on the Walk with Mental Illness. She's also the founder and editor of Queer Grace Encyclopedia, which is a curated collection of online resources relating to LGBTQIA plus life and faith. Emmy, thank you so much for joining us. I am genuinely fangirling here. Do you have a tattoo you would like to tell us about? Absolutely, I do. I don't have a superhero tattoo, and I do feel a little left out of the the Cool Kids Club. But uh, as Jenny mentioned, I have um, two books out. And the first book, One Coin Found, I have a tattoo based on the same story that that Bible story is based on. That's Luke 15, verses 8 through 10, when Jesus compares God searching uh, for the lost to a woman looking for a lost coin. So on my right wrist, I have a bracelet tattooed of nine coins. Um, They're copper instead of silver, as in the story. There's a couple different personal reasons for that. But hi, Ernest, my cat just jumped onto my shoulder like a parrot, (laughs) which I promised Josh and Jenny would happen. It's amazing. He is our other special guest. He's a very special guest. Um, He's orange and he really lives into that. But so, uh, yeah, it's a tattoo. So it has nine coins with one coin still missing. And it is um, perfectly aligned. I worked with my artist to do this so that a penny can perfectly fit into the missing spot. Um, Because whenever I find pennies, then I'm just like, oh, look, it fits. And it just feels warm and fuzzy inside. That is fabulous. That's really cool. I'm going to ask you more about that parable. That's definitely on my list of things to talk about. Awesome. Well, we like to start off every episode also by sharing what we're drinking. Um, So, Josh, what are you drinking? Uh, Today, I am drinking a raspberry lambic beer. And is it good? It's delicious. I love fruit in my beer. It's delicious. It's sweet. It's everything that I want in life. Do you also like sours, Josh? I do like sours. Oh, man. I have to be really careful because I get canker sores really bad. So if I drink too many sours, I just can't talk for a week. And my boss really doesn't like it at the audio studio when I can't talk. Okay, so Je- Jenny, you you also have a, a drink of choice, I would assume? I do. Today, uh, when we are recording, it is actually not yet noon in my time zone. So it seemed a little early to be breaking into a beer. So I have an iced coffee from a mega corporation that will remain nameless. But I figure, you know, the iced coffee is the official drink of bisexual culture. And uh, this is our Pride Month. So it seemed fitting. So that's what I've got going. How about you, Emmy? You know, I will say, as another consumer of the mega conglomerate that produces that same iced coffee, one of the the difficulties with that is the, like, 
obviously they're they're doing a whole bunch of nefarious things with people trying to unionize, but also because they're a mega conglomerate corporation, they're able to provide some of the healthcare that can provide for trans people in particular that, you know, like a lot of other corporations haven't done, even though they had the capacity to financially. And so there's, I, I, every time I order from, um, shall we say the big mermaid, uh, I have, um, I, I experience that same, like, there is no ethical consumption under capitalism kind of stretch. But then usually the barista who's serving me coffee has pronouns in their name tag. And I'm like, I just, I, oh, uh, uh, ah, so much. Anyway, I am drinking um, black coffee out of a mug that I designed for a ministry that I started at my previous church. And it says, just one more fruit in God's cornucopia. Oh, I love that. So it is, it is technically a fall mug, but uh, that's what I needed today. Fabulous. Also, I want to point out that I did work for said mega coffee corporation for years and actually was up to a shift team lead, shift lead, whatever. I can't remember. It's been a while. They were very supportive of those things that you mentioned. Obviously, yes, their capitalism is kind of a different thing, but I remember having Pride Week stuff up and I still have my shirt somewhere from the Pride Week or Pride Month. And it has a Lady Gaga quote on the back. And I love that shirt so much so that I can't wear it in public because the collar is just like all tore apart now. It's well loved. It's well loved. Okay, so I want to offer a little bit of, I guess, a disclaimer here. We are doing a two-parter with Emmy. We're so excited that Emmy's joining us for Pride Month. But I want to say a little bit about what this conversation is not going to be before we dive into it. I think when queer Christians or queer affirming Christians start talking about faith and LGBTQ inclusion, we all hear the same questions or points brought up over and over again. And a lot of the time that has to do with certain scripture passages, which are known as like the clobber verses, quote unquote. And these are things like, well, doesn't Leviticus say that you know, two men lying together is an abomination. And what about Romans? And what about this? And what about this? We're not going to talk about all the clobber verses. There are amazing resources out there where you can read some really, really solid scriptural interpretation on what those verses mean for queer inclusion nowadays. But when you are asked the same questions over and over again, it becomes kind of like soul sucking. And I would much rather have like a life giving conversation. So if you are really curious about those clobber verses or, you know, how queer people address some of those parts of scripture, I would love to point you to a website that Emmy curates, which is the Queer Grace Encyclopedia. And it's queergrace.com. Am I getting that right? Mm -hmm. Awesome. Yep. I think I also own queergrace.org and it redirects, but queergrace.com is the main. Awesome. And we'll we'll stick a link in the episode description, but um, there are some really, really good articles on that site that go into each of those verses and just offer some additional context and reflection. It's awesome. I highly recommend it, but that's not the conversation we're going to have today. So that's my disclaimer at the top. And if you're thinking like right away, like, hey, I don't want to listen to this episode. Screw this. Screw that. This might actually be the episode that I'm going to say, no, you absolutely need to listen to this episode. And then 
you know, you're going to be who you're going to be. But I think you absolutely should give this a listen. And I'm really excited for this. Thanks, Josh. I appreciate the, like, the the light dad energy that was just brought to that. Of just like, you know, kid, maybe you should just try it. Maybe you should just, you know, I know there's broccoli on your plate and you're not, like, super jazzed about it. But just take a bite. It's okay if you don't want to finish it, but just take a bite. We're not going to hold you back from dessert. I just want just, I just, like, I'm, I'm not going to punish you if you don't try, but try a bite. Let's see what happens. So it was my niece's graduation party last night when we recorded this. And so I'm still in like full uncle mode and like, not like, Hey, let's do some stupid shit to piss off your parents. Like, Hey, let's, uh, I'm really proud of you guys. And Hey, so I got that vibe going on. Excellent. You brought that, you brought that very strongly. I love it. I love that so much. Thank you. All right. So now that we've said what this episode is not going to be, let's actually get into it. We could go in a hundred directions, and I think that this conversation is going to be pretty wide-ranging. But maybe since we've already mentioned it as just sort of an entry point, I would love, Emmy, if you would kind of give us your elevator pitch about um, the parable of the lost coin and why that in particular was really meaningful for you. And we'll kind of hopefully use that to get our minds into some queer scriptural interpretation. Yeah, I love that. I don't, I'm not on elevators with anyone these days, but this does happen to me in Target where people will comment on it uh, because it sort of looks like jewelry and then they realize it's not jewelry, it's a tattoo and there's this whole thing. And the pitch that I give is it's a reminder of this story that often gets lost. It's a story about being lost, but the story itself often gets lost. The two stories that surround it, the story of the lost sheep and then the story of the prodigal son, those become very strong in Christian conversation. They, um, the lost sheep shows up in other gospels. The prodigal son, you know, is the reason that we still have the word prodigal functioning in English. These stories get told over and over. And the way that God is cast in those stories as a shepherd looking for a sheep and a father waiting on a lost son recur over and over in Christian culture of God as shepherd and God as father. But the story right in the middle gets lost where God is a, a woman. God is a woman flat on her stomach, you know, digging under the family bed, um, sweeping under the kitchen table, out in the yard, like kicking over all the weed piles, trying to find this one lost coin. And this sense of God as feminine, of God as homemaker, of God as searching for something that did not get lost of its own volition. That's the thing that really cracks the story open for me is a sheep, sheep wander, that's what they do. And the, the prodigal son and the way we cast that story, like the son has his own motivations for why he takes all the money and leaves. But a coin is an inanimate object and a coin can only get lost if the person who is in charge of recognizing its worth fails their job. And so often for so many of us within marginalized communities in organized religion and particularly within Christianity, whether that be people who are assigned female at birth or identify um, as femme in their present bodies, that you know people of uh, minority or marginalized races, ethnicities and cultures, people who are disabled, people who are impoverished, people who are unhoused, people who are in a country without proper documentation. All of those categories of people, I think, can be aligned with someone who was in charge of you, someone who was, was tasked with recognizing your worth, failed to do so. 
And I think that happens for the LGBTQIA plus community, um, especially in relation to the Christian church, is that the church was tasked with recognizing we are part of the body of Christ. We are beloveds made in God's image, and they failed to do so. And yet, in all that, God is still seeking us out. And that's the that's the tricky needle of the metaphor, right? Because in the metaphor, the woman loses the coin and also is the one to find it. Um, but in the expanded metaphor, the way I move into it is this sense of the church may have failed, but God is relentlessly and eternally retaining this position of openness and curiosity and wonderment and waiting and seeking of longing for our return and our whole our, our return to wholeness. That's so great. I love that. One of the things that I really appreciate about those those parables of lost and found, so the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the prodigal son, is that they all have a theme of joy. And that's something that I particularly find interesting about the lost coin is like the rejoicing. She's like, everybody come over, right? Like, I'm going to throw a party because I found this lost coin. And so it's really not about like a, a simple understanding of like, oh, she found her missing money, right? Like this isn't about paying the bills. This is about, oh, I found something precious and now I'm going to share it. And just the kind of joy that goes with that. Yeah, if it was if it was just about money, she wouldn't throw a party because parties are wasteful. <laughs> yep. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And there's been lots of interesting interpretation as to like, why is this coin important? Um, there's some speculation that it might be part of like a decorative headdress. And so the headdress isn't complete without it. We don't have like, I don't consider it solid enough archaeology and anthropology to really say for sure. And of course, other scholars are w welcome to disagree with me on that because academia is not my technical area. But um, but there is that sense of like the unity is about more than just wealth or or like the sum of the parts. There's something more to it. And there's that aspect of, of joy. Yes. Yeah. And like, I'm going to get personal, but I feel like this episode was going to go there anyway. So like, let's just dive in. When I first came out to one of my very good friends, and coming out is always like such a nerve wracking experience, even when you know that the response is going to be positive. Um, but I came out to one of my friends who himself is gay, and his response was, he gave me a fist bump and he said, congratulations. And like, that was so unexpected because the things I expect to hear are like, oh, like, I support you. Like, this is like, this is not going to change how I feel about, you. you know, like positive things, but not congratulations. And I was like, that reframes everything for me is like, oh, yeah, this is great. Let's have a party. <laughs> this is something worth celebrating which I just had never conceived of it that way. So that has like really stuck with me. So I like that theme. Josh, you look very thoughtful and I'm wondering if you want to jump in. I'm, I'm just, I'm kind of, you know, I'm learning stuff. <laughs> I think it's the best way to put it. Cause you know, and going back to what you said earlier about the clobber verses, like that's kind of a lot of what is not as much now, but, when I was growing up, that was kind of like, hey, this is wrong. This is bad. And, you know, hearing how awesome that story was, it was just like, oh, yeah, this is a reason to celebrate. It reminds me of like when I was growing up, you know, I thought that way. I, uh, you know, it was a sin. These people are bad. And, you know, I'm sure 
mom and dad are listening to this be like, what the hell? We didn't raise you like that. You're not supposed to hate anybody. But yeah, I followed, the Bible said this, and then I hung out with some people that thought that same thing. Hey, the Bible says this, and this is how we were raised. And it's just kind of, you know, not a fun experience to think back, but also now to realize that this, it was in college, like one of my early years in college, my friend asked, hey, do you want to go to this talk that my college is having? So yeah, I went down and visited, and it was just a discussion about Matthew Shepard. And like, and that right there, I was just sitting there and I was like, what the hell? Like, how is this a right frame of mind? And that's, that was my whole, like, just realization. Like, this isn't right. This isn't how the God I believe in would want us to act. And so this, it's just, yeah, it's just a big experience. And like, I'm happy and proud of myself for being like, just having that realization. Like, what the hell are you doing, dude? Wake up. Come on, brah. It's time to go. But yeah, and then, you know, like, obviously discussing things with the two of you, it's just, this is an opportunity, this is something that I could have missed out on because of that singular set of religious views that I had. I think before we started recording, um, Emmy used the word deconstructing, and I feel like that's obviously a really important concept when those of us who were raised in religious communities, religious households. At a certain point, I think you do have to do some deconstructing of the things that you grew up knowing or being told. And and so, Josh, I appreciate that you're like very honest about that, about like things that you learned that you had to unlearn and things that you're continuing to learn. I mean, I don't think we ever like stop learning and growing, but uh, I really appreciate you being kind of honest about that because I think a lot of people are going through that same experience. Yeah, and it, it's just, you know, some of us just have that that path laid out in front of us and we just need that slap to the face to be like, what are you doing? It's so interesting to me when people bring up Matthew Shepard because that was like a, a, a turning point for me as a young gay kid of, like, that was... That hit the news um, right when I was starting to realize I was gay. And it was this very clear message, even though I had super supportive and affirming parents and, and actually an affirming congregation that looking back now on, I'm just sort of like, that was essentially miraculous, that there was still this universal and national and Christian culture message of like, you are not, you, we will not let you be safe. And we're seeing that same message replicated now for trans kids, particularly um, state to state, but also nationally, and then um, in lots of different supposed church spaces of like, we will not let you be safe. And and what that does, I was actually just thinking about this recently, because when I was in Washington, D.C., four years ago, it was pre-pandemic, um, I visited the columbarium where Matthew Shepard is interred, which is at the National Cathedral, but they don't tell you exactly where he's interred. They tell you that he's in the columbarium, but it's very specifically like he's in the columbarium and we will not tell you where because even in death, homophobes, queerphobes and transphobes will not let him rest in peace. Um, and that I, you're, you're absolutely right, Josh, like how the tracing out the lines of how so many desires for power and their different ways that they enact themselves in our world today have made the gift of love we receive from God into a religion of hate. And it is, it's sad. Yeah. And I know we're not going in specifics, but there's so many clobber verses 
that in those same books that say other things are an abomination, like shellfish. I love shrimp. I like wearing blended clothes. Like, I don't understand like how this is, this, this thing is the end all be all when it's clearly states this, like that you can't kind of goes back to things I've said before. Like, I think the Bible needs to be reviewed as a guide and not necessarily an exact roadmap. It's yeah. 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 I totally agree. You know, why, why would one prohibition in Leviticus be applicable for Christians today and not all the other ones? Although I, I do feel like that's a little bit of a dangerous road to go down because like there are still observant Jewish people who follow all the commandments in Leviticus and like we don't want to throw them under the bus either. But yeah, there, I think there's a lot of cherry picking that happens of like, we're just going to look at at certain verses and ignore the context. It's really interesting to me that you both um, brought up the story of Matthew Shepard as being kind of pivotal because I had a similar experience and maybe it's just because we're all like from the same generation. Probably like a lot of people our age might have similar stories, but I remember in high school watching the Laramie Project, the like film version of it that they made. And that was eye-opening in a really terrifying way of like seeing the things that people said. And this was like, you know, I'm a high schooler who I was like discerning a call to ministry, did not know I was queer, but seeing like what the pastor in that town was saying. And I was like, this is awful. This is not okay. And it, I think it really kind of shaped my own development. But I also remember in the film, they, they have the, the friends of Matthew Shepard who put the, the huge angel wings so that they can block the signs that have these really hateful messages, right? And so this kind of imagery of like angels of protection, protecting like Matthew Shepard and his memory and his community from like these hateful messages, I think that's also really powerful. And those are the kinds of things that I think we still need. I mean, Emmy, you mentioned there's so many uh, cultural and and legislative attacks happening right now, especially on trans people. And so I'm thinking, like, I'm not trans, but, like, where do I put myself? Like, where do I stand in order to protect people from, like, hatred that is coming at them? I think it's a really interesting, like, window into different methods of interpreting and, and applying the Bible of like, what is it meant to be? Like, is it, is it meant to be sort of this righteous sword with which we proclaim ourselves better than others and, and sort of cut down those we consider unworthy? Um, or like, do we treat it as something that is meant to protect like a shield or a fortress or many of these other, you know, metaphors actually that we get for God? of not something that is meant to attack, but something that is meant to defend and protect. Um, and obviously you can sort of tease out how all those metaphors fail because every metaphor does. But there's something so beautiful and liberative and, and really bringing back in that sense of joy when we approach the Bible, not as how am I going to find out where I have failed or where I can accuse others of failing, 
versus what are the stories that encourage me to nurture the best parts of myself that are that Imago Dei cast in Genesis 1, that image of God in which we're all made? What are the stories that help me, you know, recognize that in myself and then expand upon it and develop it for not just for my own benefit, but for the protection and healing of the whole world with which we are charged? So growing up, I'll say it straight white male, I haven't had a lot of places where I haven't felt I can go. So to me, talking to both of you that are are women and you're, you're priests and, you know, you're, you're gay and bi, like that's the whole call process to me is just, it seems like that was insane for you two. Because I remember when I was discerning, when I was considering seminary, how difficult it was. I can't imagine like, you know, it, even in the the church that I go to follow now, like it's accepted, it's welcomed, but you still have a lot of that. No, like how I just I'm I'm curious and I'm interested in your guys' stories on this. Yeah, and and I think it's helpful maybe just to say because I I've talked to a lot of folks within the ELCA, which we're all kind of connected to that. There are a lot of people who think like, oh, the whole ELCA is queer affirming. And it's not like it's super not. And right now, one of the things that we're really wrestling with is this sort of compromise that was made back in 2009, where the church said, OK, we are going to allow same sex partnered clergy. Right. We're going to allow gay and lesbian people to be pastors. But we're also going to institutionally authorize discrimination against those pastors. It's something known as bound conscience, if you're not like deep in the like churchy lingo. Basically, bound conscience allows congregations to say, we still think that being gay is wrong and therefore we don't have to call gay pastors. And it's just a real terrible situation. It's not good. And it's maybe, I mean, there's there's people pushing to change that policy. But like as of recording this in May of 2023, it is still uh, the, the law of the land in the ELCA. So yeah, it's it's wild out there, people. Yeah. I don't know, Emmy, I'm, I'm going to let you jump in on this. No, I think that's that's really spot on. Um. Yeah, there's something so interesting. The whole process was really fascinating, obviously. And that's a whole, that's probably a six to seven episode series that I think Jenny and I could do on navigating that. So, you know, if y'all ever need filler, um, I'll propose that topic. But I think the thing that's interesting to me is even for people who were supportive, um, and I've been reflecting a lot on this, even for people who were supportive of my call, there was always this caveat with it. People would express their support. People would celebrate and uplift me as a leader in college and in seminary. And there was always this message within that spoken or just hinted at of, I really hope there is a place for you. Like I'm celebrating you. And at the same time, you know, and these people are not doing this maliciously in any way. Um, They're recognizing that they have the capacity to make some space for me, but that the wider church might not. And that played out 
truthfully in a lot of ways in my process of reaching ordained ministry that played out in some ways in my six and a half years of ordained ministry. And right now I am a rostered minister on leave from call. So whenever anybody refers to me as pastor, I'm always like, oh no, I don't do that anymore. I'm like, no, right. Like it's technically, I, I still do. Um, my bishop and I had a little verbal tussle about that in a what committee was I serving on? I don't even remember, but I was on a synod committee and she referred to me as pastor and said, no, I'm not a pastor anymore. And she said, you're still a pastor. You're just on leave. And I was like, oh, <laughs> um, oops. So, and this is a lot about like the bureaucratic sort of processes behind the process. But the thing that was interesting to me was just everybody, even the people who were so affirming, were living in this space that knew the space was not safe for me. Um, there's some, obviously, like, there's drawbacks to that, right? You don't really want to be reminded of that all the time. I will say, being on leave from call right now, that there were benefits for that. You know, in the 20 years that I've been pursuing and, and executing rostered and ordained ministry, I had 20 years of being reminded continuously, like, this might not pan out for you. And so I did develop outside skills. Um, you know, I, I cultivated hobbies for a side hustle before hustle and grind culture was really as expressive as it is now. And so when it was time for me to leave rostered ministry or for me to be on leave from a call, I had the capacity to do that. And there is a thankfulness in me that that was cultivated. Um, at the same time, recognizing that like, it's a really big burden for 20 years to be pursuing your dream and have moments in every week of that where somebody reminds you that you might not never get it. But all that said, like, I'm very grateful for the ways that I nurtured it. And I nurtured it, you know, Jenny, you talked about the Queer Grace Encyclopedia that I run because I said, I don't know if I'm ever going to get to, you know, write for the larger church or influence people from a pulpit. And so I'm going to write down things and try to put things together and help people navigate this on their own. The books that I've written came out of this sense of, I don't know how much longer I'm going to have a pulpit. I don't know how long I'm going to have the capacity to speak to a small group of people every Sunday. And how do I try to not even tip the scales or right the ship or rearrange deck chairs on the Titanic, but rather leave these breadcrumbs in a forest for other people who are also trying to find their way into a better relationship with scripture and ultimately with Jesus. Um, and say like, look, here's how I found my way. If it works, if it helps you, I hope it does. Thank you so much, Emmy. We are going to continue this conversation. And so please tune in for our next episode. We're going to keep talking with Emmy about this this whole world of, of queer faith and theology and how we read the Bible. And there's so much more we still have to talk about. But thank you very much for listening. And please uh, come back next time. Thanks for listening to A Reverend Bible Talk. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts or find us at soundcloud.com slash irreverentbible. And remember, just like Balaam and his donkey learned, sometimes even God communicates through a talking ass.